It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, February 18th, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Winter cold snaps aren't just causing frozen pipes and power outages in the lower 48. In Angoon, recent cold temperatures exacerbated ongoing issues with the town's water supply. As KCAW's Aaron McKinstry reports, the Coast Guard stepped in to help by delivering bottled water to the community of around 450 people. The troubles with Angoon's water supply started on the morning of February 3rd, says Mayor Joshua Bowen. We got a few calls about one of our main lines breaking and pretty heavy river of water coming out of it. After a day's worth of digging with jackhammers, torches, and an excavator, the town's water operators found the culprit, a small pipe connected to a fire hydrant. They were able to bandage the pipe and stop the leak, but not before the town had lost a lot of water. Then came a stretch of single-digit temperatures. And lots of people's lines were freezing and breaking, and we were just losing water left and right. So all of that combined was making it very difficult for us to rebuild the the water supply. The town's water pressure had grown so weak that Bowen worried about drinking water safety and reached out to the Department of Environmental Conservation to request a boil water notice, which was granted last Friday. And then... Saturday morning, uh, we woke up and a third of the town had no water at all whatsoever coming out of their taps, um, mine included. This time, another residential leak and a broken water pump were to blame. They quickly got to work repairing the pump, but when Bowen got a call from the Clinket and Haida Indian tribes of Alaska asking if the town needed potable water, he said yes. Next thing you know, I'm getting a call saying that the Coast Guard is bringing us a bunch of water, and I'm really blown away. That was really fast. We don't usually get to partake in missions that, you know, are of immediate life safety concern. Jeannie Green is the captain of the Coast Guard Cutter Hickory, a 225-foot buoy tender homeported in Homer. They were on their way back from dropping buoys in Ketchikan when they got the call that Angoon needed water. Even though I, I understand that Angoon, you know, they they were going to do okay for a few days, um, it did feel urgent, and man, we, we loved getting to do it. When the ship pulled into the ferry terminal on Saturday evening, Bowen and members of Angoon's tribal government, the Angoon Community Association, helped distribute the nearly 7,000 bottles of water. Bowen says the additional water helped relieve pressure on the town's water system so they could get it back up and running. Ingun is working with the Alaskan Native Tribal Health Consortium and other partners to upgrade its aging water and sewer lines. The boil water notice remains in effect until they receive test results back from DEC, which Bowen anticipates later this week. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. While it's still about a month until schools of herring will begin to spawn in Sitka Sound, the conversation around the role of subsistence advocacy and knowledge in herring management has already started. Last week, the Central Council of Shinket and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska hosted a virtual panel with four members of the Herring Protectors Group, a group that calls for protection of the species and subsistence rights and advocates for changes to the state's management of the commercial fishery. Panel guests Louise Brady, Harvey Kitka, Vivian Mork, and Peter Bradley discussed everything from the history of herring and its importance to Tlingit people to a recent study that's called the state's management model into question. Some of the conversation focused on reconciling traditional knowledge and science when it comes to managing herring sustainably. Here's Vivian Mork. Indigenous science has existed here in southeast Alaska and all of Alaska for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, our Native people 
have harvested our herring sustainably and generously giving to people for thousands of years we have correctly managed this fishery. Mork said it was time for Indigenous science to have a bigger leg at the table. Um, our science is longer. It's, uh, it, it's been here longer. It's uh, proven. And it, is, it, and it was effective. And uh, we know the herring better. It's just uh, a fact. We have to protect the herring for us. We have to protect it also for the commercial fisheries in the future. We do also have to protect it for everything that feeds on this fish. It is, it, it's not just about us. The panel also featured a screening of the Herring Protector's new film, Ya'at Wune, Respect for All Things, which will air at the International Indigenous Film Festival in New Zealand next month. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game has set a harvest level for this year's commercial sacro herring fishery of 33,000 tons. But it's widely believed that processors won't buy that much fish. The Sitka Tribe of Alaska has won a pair of legal victories against the state, arguing that subsistence harvests were not reasonably accounted for during management of the fishery. You can find a link to the full panel discussion on our website, kcaw.org. Governor Mike Dunleavy has quietly appointed an unknown real estate executive to an agency tasked with regulating commercial fishing permits. As Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, the incoming commissioner will help decide who gets access to the exclusive rights to fish in state waters. The Commercial Fisheries Entry Commission is obscure to many Alaskans, but for those whose livelihoods are tied to fish, it's a household name. The agency was created in the 1970s after Alaska voters amended the state constitution to allow limits on the number of people allowed to fish, all for the sake of conservation. Fishermen had to show a history of their catch in a particular area to get rights to fish. Attorney and former lobbyist Fate Putman was appointed in 2017 to the commission by Governor Walker. The commission spent uh, many, many years going through those applications, sorting through the permits, seeing which fishermen had a history of fishing in the fishery and were economically dependent on the fishery and making decisions about which people received a transferable permit, a non-transferable permit, and there are unfortunately people who did not receive permits. That work of documenting who did and didn't get fishing rights took decades, but it's finally done. Over the past few years, the commission has resolved all but one dispute over a shrimp pot fishery in Southeast. And the commission hasn't created a new limited entry fishery since 2004. But Putman says there's still work to be done. The biggest issue that CFTC is facing now is the optimum number question. So we issue permits to everybody who has a history of fishing in a fishery uh, based on their past participation, but that isn't necessarily the optimum number. That's the maximum number. The optimum number may be lower or higher than that. Putman's term expires in March, and so his successor, Melvin Smith, will likely take up that question. Until recently, Smith worked for the Anchorage real estate office of a regional native corporation. He's a low-key appointment. Industry representatives say they don't know him. Records show Smith has lived in Falls Pass, Wasilla, and most recently Anchorage. His most recent commercial fishing permit was active in 2004. He's also held permits for land-based set nets in the Alaska Peninsula, purse seining, and some longlining. His work email at Aleut Corporation bounced back, saying he'd left the Native Corporation earlier this month. Reach for comment, the governor's office only said that Dunleavy appointed Smith because he believes he's the best candidate. 
Fish Politico's like former lobbyist Bob Thorstensen says it's longtime practice for someone close or loyal to the governor's inner circle to be tapped for the commissioner jobs, which come with six-figure salaries. Whoever gets that job is usually a pretty good friend of the governor's. Thorstensen agrees with Putman that the commission's next task is to right-size the number of permits in limited entry fisheries and create new ones. There's going to be a lot of buybacks and a lot of different types of moves. And there's, there's moves that need to be made for commercial fisheries. The people that say CVC's job's done just because we've already established these limited fisheries, those people just don't have a lot of breadth or vision or depth because CFEC's job is far from done. CFEC has been under pressure since a scathing 2015 audit that found inefficiencies, and critics argue that the commission has worked itself out of a job. That same year as the audit, lawmakers proposed a bill to merge the commission into the Department of Fish and Game. A compromise reduced the number of commissioners and slightly reduced their salaries. Melvin Smith may be unknown in fishing circles, but industry figures will soon be putting a face to the name. He'll be addressing the United Fishermen of Alaska during this week's annual meeting. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski said during her annual trip to the Alaska State Capitol on Tuesday that the Republican Party has to decide whether it is a party of one man, former President Donald Trump, or of principles. The Republican Party, in my view, was a pretty good party before Donald Trump, and I believe we can be a good party after Donald Trump. Right now, I think we're still trying to figure out who we are. Murkowski acknowledges that the Alaskan Republican Party may censure her for her vote to convict Trump of inciting the January 6th storming of the U.S. Capitol. She says she put her obligation to support the Constitution first. Due to COVID-19 and the delayed organization of the Alaska House, Murkowski did not give her annual address to a joint session of the legislature, but she met with small groups of lawmakers and answered questions from news reporters. Murkowski says it would be a challenge for her if the GOP became the party of Trump, but she would never switch to another party. There is no way that I would go to the Democrats. I'm not a Democrat. And so I continue to be a Republican, but I am not a Trump Republican. Murkowski says states must ensure that elections are secure. She says they also should do everything they can to make voting easier for everyone. Not easier for Republicans, not easier for Democrats, not easier for for this minority or that. Everybody. And so when we put limitations in place, either intentionally or unintentionally, that's that's not who we are. We want we want the participation. Murkowski declined to announce she's running for re-election next year, but suggested a campaign launch was in her future. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is morning.